You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. If um, you've noticed in your worship guide, there's uh, um, the sermon outline. And so you'll notice that um, the series that we're looking at, there are Christmas series that we've called The Line. This interesting word, line. So if, um, if you look at Action Webster's dictionary, they identify 68 uses for the word. That's a lot of uses for one word. Some of them are, might be like, when we color, we want to stay inside the lines. Okay? Too often, we find ourselves standing in line. One never wants to be in the line of fire. When we've been pushed too far, we draw a line in the sand. Fine lines and thin lines are small degrees of separation and have nothing to do with thread. A line is something men give women when trying to impress them. (laughs) Similarly, we're told to give it some line when a big fish takes our bait. Actors rehearse their lines while businesses are concerned about their bottom line. When we're good, we're towing the line. When we're bad, we've crossed the line. When life has become too much, we've reached the end of the line. And if life really becomes too much, we might call a hot line. An insightful person reads between the lines while a dishonest person lines their pockets with ill-gotten gain. Yes, the word line is an interesting word. Now, for the purposes of this series, the word line is used to identify an event that separates time, a before and after. We have this period of time, this event occurs, and now we have that period of time. A marker event, if you will. Or for some of us, it's a red-letter day on our calendar. So what might be a marker event in your life? Think back over your life where life was one way and then the event happened and then life afterward became forever different. I don't know about you, but for me, I have a few of them. One is my wedding day. Life with Bessie forever changed after October 16th, 1983. Another one was birth of our kids, particularly the first one. That was the big change, you know, when, when the first one came along. Um, it might be a new job or something else that might have occurred in your life that drastically changed the way you live life. Now, unfortunately, not all marker events are positive. For some of us, a marker event might have been the day we received the results of a medical test. And the diagnosis wasn't necessarily favorable. I think collectively, September 11th was an event that changed all of our lives. That was a marker event. Now, for the past few weeks, we've been looking at and studying individuals who've encountered Jesus. We we talked, uh, first uh, week, we looked at Zacchaeus. Um, We talked talked about a woman who'd lost her, she was a widow who lost her son, and he died. Ten lepers. Uh, the Apostle Peter, and also last week we looked at the person of Nicodemus. All of these individuals had an encounter with Jesus, and all of them, their lives were markedly different after that encounter occurred. Their lives were once this, they encountered Jesus, and now their life is like that. 
That point of encounter became a marker event in the life of each person. Now, the thing is, the effect of Jesus on the lives of people wasn't just limited to those he met face to face. I mean, even today, 2,000 years later, our lives are different because of Jesus, and you don't even have to be a Christ follower for that to be true. Now, consider something as simple as how we mark time, our calendar. Most of you know that uh, we have, we reference B.C. and A.D., all right? B.C. is, and A.D. is, what is it? You're right. Most people say after death, and that's what I thought too, but that's not right. That's wrong. It's actually, what is it? Anno Domini. It's a Latin phrase that means in the year of our Lord. And it was a dating system that was devised in the year 525 by a guy named Dionysius Exegus. What a great name. (laughs) But the birth of Jesus literally became the dividing point in human history. That day when he... So our calendar is based upon that event. Now what's interesting, at least I find it interesting, in recent times, the, the B.C. and A.D. has been replaced by many for B.C. and B.C.E., so it's before the common era, and then the common era is the way they designate it. And they do that to avoid religious connotations. <laughs> but the reality is it's all semantics. Because BCE and CE still point to the birth of Jesus as the marker event that happened. We just, put, we just slapped a different label on it. Literally, Jesus marks the dividing line in human history. Without a doubt, the birth of Jesus was a marker event that changed the course for all humans for all time. Now, if you have uh, your Bibles and want to turn to Galatians chapter 4, or if uh, you have your other apparatus or device, we'll be reading from Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the time set, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and we're thankful for the coming of Jesus, and what an incredible event that was, and the significance for us is, uh, Lord, really, um, it's hard to even describe or to even sometimes even fathom how much life changed because Jesus came. Uh, so, Lord, in the next few moments, help me to clearly communicate, and um, Holy Spirit, that you would speak um, as you would uh, deem appropriate to the hearts and lives of each of us this day, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, to be clear, the birth of Jesus wasn't random, nor was the timing arbitrary. God had a plan. Now, a few weeks ago, Betsy and I went to see the movie, uh, first time we'd been in a theater, probably a year and a half, went to see King Richard. I don't know if any of you saw it. It's actually one of these based on true life stories of um, Richard Williams, who's the father of um, um, Venus and Serena. Thank you very much. Uh, The tennis players. And um, I kind of liked it. I mean, it was a good story. And uh, I'm a fan. I like Will Smith. uh, So I'm a fan of his. So there's some really good stuff in it. (laughs) One of the main points in the movie um, was that early on he recognized he had two tennis prodigies in his family. And so he made a plan 
this is how we're going to proceed with these two girls, how they, how and when they practiced. The training, the coaches, he mapped it all out. This is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to do it. From the time they woke up to when they went to bed, everything was mapped out. Now, you can question you know, the, the value of that and doing that to your kids. It really is an interesting story, though, when you realize it worked. For them, it did work. Now, I'm not necessarily advocating that way of raising kids, but for him it worked. But everything, everything was based on the plan. What they did, they did things if it was in the plan. If it wasn't in the plan, they didn't do certain things. Everything was based upon the plan that he laid forth. More often than not, for all of us, things in life don't happen simply because we want them to happen. There has to be a plan. There has to be intentionality on our part if it's to happen. Excuse me one second here. I've got a brand new iPad, and I just discovered it formatted my pages differently. I am actually missing. Okay, here we go. I got really nervous. Um, The panic's like, oh no, what do I do? (laughs) Okay, I'm all better now. Let me take a breath. Oh, Lord, help us all. So in the verses we just read a little earlier, um, Paul tells us, when when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. When the time had come, God had a plan. It was intentional on his part. The timing for the birth of Jesus wasn't the result of some cosmic accident. God established the timeline which created a watershed moment. Now, watershed, we'll understand it's a dividing line. More often than not, it's a ridge in, in hills. And um, water, when it rains, flows one way or the other. If, if it lands on this side, it flows this direction. This way, it flows this direction. A watershed moment, then, is a crucial dividing point in time, usually a turning point. A turning point in history and the way things are going. For all humanity with the birth of Jesus, God drew a line that made redemption possible. If you lay out human history in a line, everything changed with the coming of Jesus. In all human history, no one had more influence on human events than Jesus. Now, for Christ followers, four things changed with the coming of Jesus. Now, first, before Christ, God's covenant was with Israel. Jeremiah 30 says, you, and he's talking to the Israelites, you will be my people and I will be your God. So God identifies the Israelites as, and they say, you will be my people. So if you were not an Israelite, you were outside the covenant of God and not part of his plan. Now, after Christ, A.D., after his birth, God's covenant is available to all people. 
Luke 2 tells us. Now Luke, he's, Luke is recounting the words of Simeon when he, saw, when he held and saw Jesus. And he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory to your people Israel. Light for revelation to the Gentiles. With the coming of Jesus, everyone was now included and in could be a part of God's covenant. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, or some other color. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican. God's covenant is for everybody. Everybody has an opportunity to be, to be part of the plan. Everybody has equal access to God's love and mercy. Everyone. A second thing that changed for Christ's followers with the coming of Jesus, before Christ, there was a continual sacrifice of lambs to cover the sins of people. The Israelites and all human groups pretty much throughout history understood that their sin separated them from God. It was just they intuitively knew that. To close that gap, the Israelites would sacrifice animals as a means of atoning for their sin. They had an elaborate system of protocols for sacrifice that covered every sin they could think of. The procedures and protocols, you look at uh, um, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, full of protocols, how to live life and the sacrifices that were required. Now, with the coming of Jesus, he became our high priest and sacrificial lamb once and for all. Hebrews, Paul writes, He, Jesus, did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, again referring to the older sacrificial system, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? As Christ's followers, we believe that Jesus covered our sin for all time. A third thing that changed for Christ's followers with the coming of Jesus, before Christ there was a promise made for the way of salvation. God saw this day long before it happened. He told the Israelites about it almost 800 years prior to the birth of Jesus, speaking through the prophet Isaiah. God said that, uh, I'm sorry, Isaiah was speaking on behalf of God almost 800 years prior, and he said, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This was a couple hundred years after David and about 800 years before Jesus was actually born. For almost 800 years, the Israelites waited for this day, waiting for the Messiah to come, waiting for things to change. A.D., after the birth of Jesus, his birth was the fulfillment of the promise, opening the way to salvation. 
Now, the last thing that changed for Christ followers with coming, <clears throat> with the coming of Jesus is that the Holy Spirit came upon certain people, empowering them for service. Now, <clears throat> prior to the coming of Jesus, the activity of the Holy Spirit was situational. For instance, we see in Judges, Samson was attacked by a lion, and it said, The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. It was situational and circumstantial. Not everyone had it, and not everyone had it all the time. It was situational and circumstantial based upon situations. Now, John the Baptist actually foreshadowed this change in Luke chapter 3. When talking about Jesus, he said, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. <clears throat> so after Jesus came, his birth opened the way for the Holy Spirit to reside within us, empowering us all for service. First Corinthians says, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? There's no longer external to us, something that came on us. The Holy Spirit of God dwells within us. Clearly, the coming of Jesus was a line in human history. Everything changed for all people. I want to circle back to this idea of sin and sacrifice. Now, there's a common perception, I think, out in our culture that heaven is the default destination for everyone. And then unless you're bad, you're going to go to heaven. We're all going to go to heaven. Now, as Christ followers, we believe what the Bible tells us about the human condition. And the human condition in the Bible tells us in no uncertain terms that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. We're also told that there will be a day of judgment when each of us stand before God to give an account for our life. Now, in our minds, at least let me say it this way, sometimes in my mind, I perceive this to be like a courtroom. And God is sitting up in the judge's chair, and we come up and are, you know, I uh, used to think that we kind of lay out your case. Here's why I'm good, and here's why I should get into heaven. Um, anymore, I think it's a video thing where they just replay your life, and, you know, you can see it quickly. But I don't think it's like that at all, though. I really, I mean, besides the imagery, I mean, I just don't think that's the way it happens but we have this idea that it's kind of this court case, and if I can convince God I'm good, I can get into heaven. If I somehow don't convince him, or if my life doesn't stack up, then I'm going to go to hell. And, but in the back of our minds, there's this idea, how could God send me to hell? As if it's his decision, his indictment that determines where we go. And I just don't think that, I think that's so very inaccurate. I think, first off, we need to realize that judgment is not condemnation. We actually use that in the term, quit judging me, which we mean is quit condemning me. That's not what judgment means. Judgment simply means a decision's made. We're making a decision at this point in time. And that's what judgment is. It's the point at which a decision is made. Now, the Bible actually tells us that judgment day is a good day because God puts everything right. There's an end to death. There's an end to disease. There's an end to pain and suffering. All will be made perfect on that day of judgment. That's a good thing. Now, for those who've given their life to Jesus, that judgment decision means that we will spend eternity with him. Now, for those who turn away from God, who want to live life on their own terms, God, the decision is, 
okay, you want to live light without me. I'm going to give you what you want. I'm going to stop drawing you to me. I'm going to let you go on your own. And you will spend eternity without me. And that, an eternity without God, is hell. It's the worst thing imaginable. See, we're judged by our decisions, not by God's decision. God is simply giving us what we want, if that's our choice. Uh, Tim Keller, he adds this, um, made this statement. He said, the gospel says you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, but more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope. I thought that is so very true. Each of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and God invites us. He draws us to him. He calls us to follow him, to, to, that, that we would pursue him and that he would be part of our life. And that's what he calls us to. When we don't do that, when we reject that, that's the decision. He says, all right, I'll give you what you want. Now, clearly, as we've looked at this morning, the coming of Jesus is evidence of God's love for us. He knew that we needed help. He knew that there was separation. He knew that we could not bridge the gap on our own and that we needed help. We needed Jesus. And that day he was born was a line, a line that is significant for all of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the day that Jesus came. And it's a day that for many, that they waited for and waited for and waited for. And Lord, we actually today get to look at this in our rear view mirror. We get to look at something that happened in the past. And Lord, what a joy it is to know that um, you love us this much. And Father, I pray today is that sometimes we take this for granted. Sometimes we forget the significance of the moment. God, I ask that you would remind us and that you would impress upon our own heart and your Holy Spirit would confirm within our hearts the significance of that day and what it means to us even this day. For Lord, everything changed. Father, we can actually engage you um, like you're right here with us. And you, you speak to us and talk to us and engage with us. Holy Spirit, you're with us always. There's nowhere we can go that's outside of your influence. There's no place we can be. There's nothing we can do to escape you. You're with us. For that, we're very, very grateful. So, Lord, this Christmas season as we anticipate the birth of Jesus, we, um, we set ourselves to recognizing the significance of that moment and recognizing um, all that you've done in our lives. And it's because of your son Jesus that we're able to pray all these things. And everyone says, Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.